Hey everybody, Christian Carvajal here, Editor Emeritus of Oli Arts. Welcome to Sound Stages. You know what this is. It's our podcast dedicated to theater entertainment all over the South Sound. This week's episode, I should warn you, may contain explicit language and references to topics that might be unsuitable for our younger listeners. So, on behalf of Oli Arts, thanks for listening. Hi everybody, Christian Carvajal. Welcome back to Sound Stages on the Oli Arts Podcast. Now this week is kind of special for us. I know I told you at the beginning of this season we weren't going to do any musicals or name brand comedies. We were only going to promote the shows you've never heard of. But something nice happened to me this month. I got a chance to do something we have never been able to do on the podcast before, which is we got to come up and see a show at Tacoma Musical Playhouse. Well, how could I say no to that? Plus, the musical they are doing currently, they are at present almost halfway through their run, is The Drowsy Chaperone. And unless you are a theater junkie, you may not have heard of that particular musical. And you should have. It's a lot of fun. I am here today with the artistic manager of Tacoma Musical Playhouse, hereafter to be called TMP because that's a mouthful. And his name is John Douglas Rake. And hereafter, I'm just going to call him John, because that also is a mouthful. Hi, John. Hi there. And John also is, I'm assuming, the director of the show. Yes. John is the choreographer of the show. Yes. John plays the guy with the most lines in the show, Man in Chair. Yes. I don't know if you call him the lead, but you definitely got all the lines. Yes. And John, when was the last time you slept? Actually, this week, I, I finally got to sleep. <laughs> but, okay. But, you know, believe it or not, I still have to go through those lines every single night. So. Oh, I no, I believe it. it doesn't get any easier, does it? No, it doesn't. I often bring my wife with me, not just because she is great company, but because she knows way more about musicals than I do. And she leaned over during the show and said that your tap number, the guy, Mauro, help me with his name. Bozo. Mauro Bozo. She said he's a really good tapper. And my wife would know that because she is an award-winning tap dancer. Awesome. She told me after the show that he does something that is very difficult, which is that he taps interspersed with talking. And she says the reason that is so difficult is talking, unlike singing, doesn't have a meter. So you have to talk and count at the same time and be ready to come in. Right. Are you a tapper? I am a tapper. So did you choreograph all of that? Did he? Yeah. How's that work? Yes, we choreographed it. We had the music to work on and listen to the little... There's a fugue in it. That was the hardest part because you have to fit within the musical notes that are happening where there's little breaks. And we came up together, worked on it, but it was pretty much my ideas about a lot of that. Okay. Now, before we talk about what's in the musical and in the grand tradition of American musical comedy, it is Canadian... We'll get into that. I would like to know, for people who are not familiar with this, what TMP's history is with the show. Because this is kind of a callback for you, right? Right. Uh, originally, we saw it on Broadway. and just We being? TMP, we bring groups to New York. Okay. And it was a theater group that went. And everyone in the group thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was kind of a surprise because we didn't know much about it. And at the end of the show, we just felt so good. And it was so clever. 
And as you said, it's Canadian. It started out as actually a skit or a stag party play. I feel show. like that might mean something different in this context. <laughs> Maybe it has a different meaning. Well, in it was very body. Okay. okay. Oh, I see. So this was more of the burlesque version of yeah, the show. Yes, so they okay. started out and then they realized how much fun it was. And then they added the man in the chair and the narration with it and changed a lot of things because what they were doing for the stag party was not appropriate. See, I would probably love that show. Well, I don't know the history of that, (laughs) but it would be kind of fun to hear what they actually did. But Bob Martin, who wrote it, he played the man in the chair originally, and he was marrying Janet Vandegraaff. That's really a person. Okay. And then they changed the name for the show to Jane Roberts and then made the character Janet Vandegraaff. But Who I assume is a grander version, uh, hyperbolic version of the real thing. Yes, yes. Okay. So, The Drowsy Chaperone is the name of a musical within the musical, right? Right. right. This is ostensibly a grand song and dance musical from the late 1920s. And your character, the man in chair, is a present-day aficionado of musical comedy who just happens to love the show and he puts it on when he gets blue. Right. Let me tell you what I love about that. I am on record, as you probably know, as being not a huge fan of camp. Uh. I have made the observation before that the risk you run with camp is by paying homage to bad material you might be doing bad material. Right. <laughs> That's the very fine line to walk. <laughs> and uh, I sometimes find that unless it's done with a great deal of finesse, it doesn't work. Right. Now, again, we don't know what the body version of this show was. But when you add the kind of interspersed device of the man in chair, it gives us a character who can see the foibles of the material, point them out, say, look, I know the lyrics here are kind of dumb, but here's why I love it. And to me, it was like any other kind of geek that I've ever met, whether it's a a Star Trek fan or a sports fan or a musical comedy fan. I think to really be a geek of something, you don't just have to love what's great about it, you have to love what's bad, too. Right. And that will determine what you're a geek for, right? What you have, not just tolerance, but real affection for. Exactly. So... I think my wife and I agreed, if ever there was a role, you were born to play. This this isn't exactly pushing your range, is it? (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) I mean, everyone asks me all these little trivial questions about musical theater, and, you know, that's something I live and breathe. And so, yeah, this is perfect for me. When I saw the role on Broadway, I was like, that's my role. That's your guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought you were terrific in the role. Thank I, thought, you. I don't know. You just you, you had an affection for it, which oh, I think yeah, is really important. Absolutely. And so moments toward the end that might be a little pathetic in the wrong hands, I thought those had a lovely quality to them. Well, thank you. Thanks. I, yeah. I, I mean, what I love about the show too is that, you know, if it was just say no, 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 net that was written in 1920s, presented on stage. People will go, oh, this is corny, kind of, you know, sweet. But then with the interjection of nowadays, my interjections about the characters, and you find out a little bit more about them. And then at the end, he's really talking about his life and how it sort of fit into all of these things. And a very naturalistic character in the midst of all this glitz and glamour and ludicrousness, right? Absolutely. By the way, I have to say, at this scale of theater... That might be the most costumes I've ever seen. 
in a show. <laughs> There's a lot. It's kind of deceiving. People are too. changing costumes every thirty seconds. They're yeah. changing every scene. It's like between dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Janet, I think, has like eight or nine costumes just her alone. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. How, how big is your costume team for this show? We have a customer that's a resident customer. She works full-time. And then we have two wonderful volunteers that are 98 years old. And they come in and they do little hand stitching and mending and things like that. And then we have a couple other volunteers that will come in and do laundry and ironing and stuff like that. And then the customer, if she's feeling a little scared, then she'll bring in another volunteer. You're going to work something. one of these people to death, John. you got to be careful, man. <laughs> no, There's you know liability what? issues. <laughs> the, the customer told me just the other day, she said, this is my life. This is my last job. So can I say she's loving her job? Let's talk a little bit about the show within the show. Drowsy Chaperone has a lot of stock characters in it, which a lot of actors, I think, take as a license to really ham it up. I didn't see a lot of that in the show. I think everybody kind of feels like they were really paid a, a good working wage to do those things at right, some point. Right, right, right. You got some dynamite singers in the show, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very blessed really to have that. Good. Just great, great talent for the show. And eight well, there are them, people who come back over and over, right, to work here. Yes. And these there's about eight players in this that did it the first time we did it. And the minute that I said I want to do it again, they said we're there. So, you know, they love those roles and the ability to sing some of that music and tap their parts out. How long ago did you do it here? Nine years ago. Nine years. So for about ten years, I've been hearing about this play, this mm -hmm. musical, mm -hmm. and I've never seen or heard it. I think, mm -hmm. well, I take that back. I think I listened to the CD one time, mm -hmm. which is a, kind of an empty experience yeah, if you don't you see don't the frame it. of it. Right, right. But to see the show live, it has that feel of kind of the ballroom sequences from The Muppet Show, where people are <laughs> swimming in and out and Absolutely. cracking a joke <laughs> and then swanning on out right. again, you know. Right. It's great fun. You know what the show really felt like to me is a tribute to a friend of mine, a guy I've worked with theatrically several times. And I, I gotta believe you know George Doherty. Do you know mm, George? Yeah. George Doherty is one of these guys who has a musical in his database for every occasion. It doesn't matter what anybody brings up. You can say, oh, that's just like the great Chinatown caper of 1948. <laughs> he, what are you talking about? Right. And then he'll sing you three numbers from the show. Right. I think the man in chair is George Doherty. Just a guy who... Sounds like it. You know, really, he's probably yeah. got a record player in his apartment that he hauls <laughs> out for stuff like that. Right, right. It's all good fun. John, I gotta tell you, here's the part where I throw you a curveball. As a director, I have always resisted the idea of being in a show I direct. I've had to do it a couple of times because people dropped out or something, but I always feel like, boy, I really need a pair of eyes on me to watch me and keep me in check and make sure it, it all fits in the neighborhood. I think I've seen you in every show I've ever seen here. How do you balance that? What's your modus operandi to make that work? Because um, it did work in this show very well. Well, and this show is really, I was really fortunate because I could sort of step out and look at what was going on and direct what needed to be directed. And having done the show before, I kind of knew what I had to do for myself as an actor and, and director. And, and this show was a little easier to be a director and a performer in it. Some of the other shows that we've done where I've done that, and I, and I don't really like doing that as much. I'd rather be the, the audience. The audience loves it here. Yes, I know. But it's not my favorite. <laughs> I would rather be the eyes of the audience and then being a director. I would imagine you'd love to just sit and watch this show. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess absolutely. to a certain extent, Man in Chair does. But, I do. But you do actually kind of move in and out of the right. action and even right. join it at one point. 
But there are moments in the, in the show that I'll be sitting there and I'm really reacting to what I'm seeing. I'm just thoroughly enjoying some of it. It's not put on or anything. There's a lot of genuine moments that I just I crack up, <laughs> really crack up. Will you be doing the show again in nine, ten years? Mm, well, we have a joke that if we do it in nine or ten years, it will probably be the man in the wheelchair. <laughs> and I'm not sure that will be me. But God love know. the TMP crowd. You might have a whole new generation yeah. of people in here. That's by true. Then. You know, a lot of these people didn't see it the first time, and so they didn't know what to expect. And then there are those that come in and they say, oh, you know what? This was just as much fun or better than we thought when it was the first time we saw it. And the thing about it for me is, is that it is an entertaining show light and silly and frothy right now for this world that we're living in that's crazy and there's literally nothing to connect this show with the news which is a welcome break right I mean, we talk about that a lot on this podcast, that sometimes you absolutely need to go see 1984. You need to see something that will really make you think, you know what, I guess I'm not crazy. Maybe the gaslighting hasn't worked. Maybe I do actually have some awareness of what's going on. But boy, every once in a while, you just need a getaway. Right. This show's a terrific getaway. It is. And that's one of the reasons we picked it. It was just... We felt we all needed that breath of funny air to breathe in and take in the show and relax and just leave it out at the door and then deal with it when you get home. If you weren't playing manager, who would you want to play? Well, it would be... I'm too old to play the groom, but that would be the role because of the tap dancing. I'm a good tapper and really love tapping, and so that would be the role that I would love to play, but it's beyond me. <laughs> I, see, I'm envious of that ability, because honestly, I don't think I could make it through an entire dance number if the fate of the free world depended on it. <laughs> if communism was going to advance over America, if I didn't finish the dance number, man, learn your patriotic <laughs> communist songs, because it's kind of... I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. It's easy for people who can't do it to say, well... It's such light entertainment. It's not significant. It's not, you know, the great drama of art. It's not Angels in America. It's not whatever. Absolutely. But it moves people. Uh Right? And that's what we're all trying to do. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's taking people to a place that they weren't when they walked in the door. Exactly. And you got two more of these big frothy shows coming this season. Mm-hmm. We got Full Monty. Right. Are you getting naked in the show? No, no, not no. at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a promise or a threat or what. But. And then oh. Mama Mia. My friend Andrew Fry and I are talking about Mama Mia at intermission, and our feeling is that everybody kind of rolls their eyes at the play part of Mama Mia. Oh yeah. God, those songs. You can't sit still. <laughs> <laughs> we saw it on the original tour before it went to Broadway. And we couldn't sit still. And there were some women in front of us. And they were younger than we were. And they were just bouncing. And at intermission, I said, how do you know this stuff? And she goes, it's ABBA. Who doesn't know ABBA? When okay. I was living in L.A., I used to put on ABBA Gold. As mm-hmm. soon as I cleared out of L.A., I would drive to Vegas to see some friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a four-hour drive. But you put on Abba Gold, and that ride flies by. <laughs> and also I begin to speed sometime <laughs> yeah. right in the middle of Dancing Depending Queen. Depending on the beat, yeah. <laughs> right. So to this day, I could probably sing all of Abba Gold oh, just yeah. from beginning to end. We're considering doing a sing-along because we just know people are going to want to sing those Well, songs. your audience already talks back to you. You might as well you have the laser pointer with the bouncing ball and the whole thing. Absolutely. They can't be any worse than Pierce Brosnan. Yes, they could. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't know if that's musically possible. (laughs) (laughs) Who's worse, Pierce Brosnan or Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe, because Stars is 
pretty easy to sing, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can sing stars. He just didn't do it for me at all. Plus, he has a band. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I couldn't believe. And when they said that that's who was going to be in that movie, I was like, are you kidding? See, I actually thought, oh, well, he's in a band. Uh Surely he can sing. He looks the part. I mean, I'd be scared if Russell Crowe was chasing me. Yeah. You know, waving a Foster's. Right. (laughs) But, oh, boy. Boy, does he sing. Ah. I could talk about how bad that is all day. Yes, I know. <laughs> Anne Hathaway, you, you're okay. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, absolutely. best scene in a bad movie, I think, is Anne Hathaway and ladies. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I barely could get through the movie. I was just so. I know people who love it. Oh, I know, but people love all different things. They love Rocky Horror, and other people don't. There's a cult for all these films and stuff. So. Is this show your favorite from this season? No, I don't think so. I think Mamma Mia is going to be my favorite, just because I grew up with that. Just those damn songs. Are you kidding? In college, when I was taking dance classes, that's what we would dance to. And you go to the clubs, and that's what you dance to. I mean, I I lived ABBA. So, yes, the story is corny and trite. And it's actually based on another musical that most people don't know. It's based on another musical called Carmelina. It basically is the same story, but then inserted ABBA music into it. Out of sheer playwriting laziness, or how did that happen? You know, I don't know the history of that. I just know that when the story came out and I saw the show, I said, gosh, this story just sounds so familiar. So I was looking through and I did the Google search on Greek Isle and it came up with Carmelina and I went, yes, that's what I remember. Uh And you read the story and it's pretty similar. Well, that's very interesting. You know, your good friend and mine, Chris Surface and I, Mm -hmm. speaking of ABBA, we are both huge chess fans. Oh, Not no. the game. I, I'm no. terrible at the no, game. No, My brother's good. But the Bjorn Olveus. Yes. Did I get that right? I yeah, think I did. Yeah, yeah. Of ABBA musical chess. Right. So on behalf of myself and Chris Surface, you guys should really do chess at some point. You know, we've thought about that because it doesn't Do really the Sydney be... version. I don't think I know that. I mean, I'd have to listen to it. It doesn't work as a stage show. I mean, somebody recently did it up in Seattle and it was dismal to watch on stage. The story doesn't flow and things like that. But as a concert version, you get all the great music. And well, all you that. know this. They may not. So the show was a Midland success, I guess, in England. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's going to Broadway. Oh, they're going to spice it up. It's going to be fantastic. And then they literally drained all the color out of it. Mm-hmm. People were standing in front of concrete blocks. And mm-hmm. they rearranged the songs. And it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an MTI show. Whoever the publisher is in America, they will only give you the right to do the Broadway version. Oh, yeah. But a few years later, Tim Rice, who understood that there were problems with the newer version, went off and did it in Australia and rewrote it again. He updated it in time. And the Sydney version, I think, is terrific. I think it pulls the best from both. Legally, are you allowed to do it? No, probably not. Although, you know, some of these licensing companies, they have the in, and they'll work with you to some extent. It just depends on the property and the author. If the author wants to have that work shown, then he'll okay it. But you have to get special permission to do something like that. So here's something that I was thinking about as I watched the show tonight. It seems to run rampant in theater in good and bad ways. But I think there should be an English word, and I don't think there is, for nostalgia for something that happened before you were born. I know a lot of people my age who love Greece. Love it. Love it. I love Little Shop of Horrors. These are all shows based in time periods that I didn't see. Mm-hmm. 
And this show, now I know you're not 90 years old, John. <laughs> no. This show is nostalgic for a 1928 that never was, right? Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. certainly was a genre of musical right. that, I don't know, maybe this isn't the right way to put it, maybe not the most flattering way to put it, but it just won't die. Like, I still see, <laughs> I still hear echoes of it a hundred years Absolutely. later in the shows that come out now. Yeah. Why is that? Well, Where's that nostalgia come from? We weren't around to see it. It's you know I think it is generational. We do a survey every year of our patrons to find out what they want to see. And one of the questions that we ask is, what's your age range? And usually the older they are, the older the show is. Because they have fond memories of that. They saw it on a date or, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they grew up listening to the cast recording that the mom played. So... Our tastes here have changed as the generations have changed, which is really interesting because maybe 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of doing a 70s, 80s show because the audience wouldn't understand. They didn't grow up with that. They were parents and they had responsibilities and their kids were always fighting them. So now, because some of the ages have changed and they've moved on, (laughs) quote, we're watching that more and more and looking for shows that will be appealing to a newer audience. So what's everybody clamoring to see that you haven't been able to do yet? Jersey Boys. Jersey Boys. Now that's interesting. I guess people saw the movie or something, right? Or do you have well, people who would say, oh, with, I saw it on Broadway. They, I went grow, to Broadway. they grew up with the music, though, too. Frank well, Sky, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those shows that the music is popular and they know the music. They maybe don't know the story of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, but they know the music. Broadway, of course, has been taken over by these jukebox musicals where it's literally just some artist's greatest hits. And then they, as this play comments, they find some flimsy excuse to string them all together. Right. right? Right. Some years, that's half your season here is those jukebox musicals. Do you like those? Depends. Depends on the artist? Yeah, it depends on the artist, depends on the show and how it's put together. Jersey Boys would be one that I would thoroughly enjoy because it's their life. You know, they didn't just throw it with a corny story. When we did All Shook Up, which is Elvis's music, I didn't think I would really enjoy it. But the arrangements of the songs were so beautiful and so complex that it wasn't just Elvis singing Jailhouse Rock or anything like that. These were pieces that they thought about and they arranged them to fit into the story. Well, the story's still really frothy, but the interspersing of the musical numbers makes it a lot more fun to do. I think with a lot of those musicals, you're so dependent on... You're casting because, you know, I'm thinking of the right. Buddy Holly musical. I'm thinking of the Patsy Cline musical. Right. We have such a clear, iconic idea in our heads of what those people were like. Right. And we don't remember them sitting around eating a peanut butter right. banana sandwich. We remember their stage presence, right? Right. right. So if you've got somebody like Jeff Bearhand or whoever who can come out and really embody that artist, that show can really take off. Mm-hmm. But boy, it's, it's such a demanding role because you not only have to be a good impersonationist, mm-hmm. right. Right? right? You also have to have all this stage talent and charisma to be able to play directly at the audience because there is no fourth wall on these shows. You're right. literally Elvis at the Copacabana or whatever and you're talking to the audience. And there's also a preconceived idea sometimes or they've seen it in concert. So you have that pressure Oh my oh, gosh, yeah, I've yeah. got to really be like you got to compete with Elvis right. from 1967 right. or whatever. When we did Buddy Holly, we had this kid that we brought in who's doing it across the United States. He really embodies Buddy Holly. He looks like him, sounds like him, has a lot of the same movements, dance movements, all of that. The story is really cheesy, 
But when the man, <laughs> not a happy ending. Uh, no, <laughs> although they turn it into a big concert, they, they so that do. Okay, but yeah. meanwhile, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but yeah, they all die I'm, gonna, I'm gonna double check Wikipedia on this <laughs> yeah. one, but I'm pretty sure he does. Yes. Yeah, same with uh, Richie Valens. Well, at this point, all these people are dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Betsy Klein is no longer with yes, us. Yes. What show do you want to do that it just hasn't been in the cards yet? I really do want to do Jersey Boys. I got to do a backstage tour of the Broadway show, and the director was giving notes to his actors, and that was very cool. And we got a chance to talk to him a little bit, and he just sort of inspired me. And, that, and I love the music, too, and I love how they kind of started in the modern times, and then they go back to what the life was. And it's going to be a challenge finding those actors that can play those roles really well and sing really well. Um, I'm excited to see the eventual Bruce Springsteen jukebox <laughs> musical of Bon Jovi. And, you know, I don't know about some of them. <laughs> Jay-Z will have his own. Beyonce will pop in for one number or something. Latest, I mean, it's inevitable, right? That's The latest is Britney Spears. Oh, oh she isn't, doesn't she have like a Vegas residency or something? Uh, she does, but they're writing a musical using her music. It's going to play in Chicago. See, my wife and I, I'm going to call dibs on this. My wife and I have been wondering for years why there isn't a musical called Hef that is about the life of Hugh Hefner and it has all the Rat Pack songs in it and all the jazz and all the stuff that he loved. It would be a comment on the gender relations of the time mm, and on absolutely. all, you know, it had that Mad Men feel. I think it's a guaranteed bestseller. Yeah. Who knows, though? Get, get on that, John. We'll yeah, okay, it. I'll write it down. You, you make a pretty good Hugh Hefner. <laughs> I can see you in the robe. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah, come out in the robe. He changes robes again. He changes we'll robes again. We'll find three blonde triplets. It'll be uh-oh. amazing. <laughs> I'm writing a check you have to cash now. Uh-oh, no. I would think that his family wouldn't allow it to be done, because just of all the there things. There can't be many of his family left, can there? Well, I don't know. You know That I don't know. What he has an estate. Yeah. Those guys like that don't have a family. They have an That's estate, true. and it's half true. of them are lawyers. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. If they, if, but if they said there's a lot of money involved, they'd probably go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might work out well for you. Yeah. John, do you ever just want to say, screw it, do Hamlet? Just throw these people you, you know, a walking curveball. There is a part of me that really wants to do a drama and a comedy, because a comedy can be pretty difficult. You know, it depends on the genre and depends on the comedy itself. And yeah, there are times that I want to go, gosh, I wish I wasn't doing this show this season. I want to do this show. At I feel like directing theater. a musical is directing three shows at once. I mean, it's kind In of some ways, exhausting yeah. to do. How yeah. many of these do you do a year? Uh, five. And you do the bulk of them, right? We do six shows a year and I do five of them. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand it's your profession and not yeah. your night hobby. And it becomes easier as you do it more and more. But, but you've got to think, man, I'd love to do Night Mother or something. You oh, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. I would love to get my hands on Night Mother. I love that show. There's other shows that I almost directed Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike. That's a fun script. Because I studied the three sisters. I right. studied well, Chekhov and it has and the cadences like, of a musical, too. It does, somewhat, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think that would be a lot of fun. I understand you can't do it, but yeah, God, that would be, yeah, be very interesting. I have been trying to figure out ways to do it. <laughs> well, of course, you know, when we talk to John and Chris, a lot of the conversation is that they have consciously, deliberately over the last five years, nudged the content rating of their material mm-hmm. up so that they can kind of inoculate their communities right. on what Broadway and other markets are actually sure. doing now, sure. right? So that you can keep pace with what's available and right. hot. 
Does your audience push you back when you do something like Full Monty or something like that? Do you get letters? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. When we did Rent. Oh my gosh, we heard from so many of our patrons. That always makes me roll my eyes a little, because that show was mildly shocking 20 years ago. Well, we did it right when it came out. I mean, we were the, oh, the I see. first okay. theater to get it to do it. So it was a little more shocking at the time. Sure. Now you yeah, look yeah. at it and you go, oh my gosh, it's dated. The impact is not there. I mean, we don't all have to be doing Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's amazing to me when you're like, oh, I can't believe I heard the F word in the middle of a musical. Yeah. Well, I've heard the F word in Disneyland. I'm not saying you should, but it happens. Right. But you still get a little bit of We still get a little bit. And with Full Monty, we sort of expect it, although we did it once before. We did it about 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And that's when we really heard a lot about the show. Now there's this huge excitement about seeing it again or coming and seeing it for the first time. So I don't expect the same kind of pushback that we got the first time. Maybe there should be a word for nostalgia for when you were shocked that last time. <laughs> right. we were, Can you believe we have that just to blow our minds? <laughs> yes, exactly. SPSCC is about to do Fun Home. Mm-hmm. Back in the last days of Capitol Playhouse, I saw an amazing production of Next to Normal. I would say Broadway is kind of circling around where a lot of these shows have some of the layered themes that you expect from a big drama. So mm-hmm. maybe that gives you a little more opportunity. Yeah, there are some musicals that... Are I, ragtime. I saw a great Ragtime here. Ragtime has a yeah. lot of really yeah, good Yeah, I did that twice. That's, I think that's probably my all-time favorite show. Just because the music's so powerful and the story is so powerful. You were consigned to the local high school for some reason. I don't remember oh, if you were renovating we were doing or whatever. Renovation here. But it, boy, it blew the roof off that gym. It was just just a huge show. <laughs> yeah, there were 50 people on that show. And actors still talk about ragtime, ragtime, ragtime. One of the the other theaters is going to be doing it here next season. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, well, you got some big shoes to fill. That's a pretty good production on that show. You know, John, I've never been in this theater that you didn't have a full house. That's a luxury. But you really not only have found your audience, but they have found a way to communicate to you what they want. Mm-hmm. It is very true. And we reach out to them, and they reach out to us. You know, They're not afraid to tell us what they want. <laughs> or what they don't like. Or what they don't like. And we're not afraid to listen to them and say, hey, you know, that's a good idea. You know, we'll look into that. The audience numbers are growing. We're selling out on more shows than we've ever sold out on. And it's wonderful. And Mamma Mia, there's like five or six shows that are already sold out. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to build another auditorium. We've already so. added two shows. I don't know yeah. that we could add them anymore, but... Yeah. When's the last time you were in New York? Not this March. A year back from March. So well, what was year. the best thing you saw? I can tell you the worst thing I saw. Go for it. Um, the band's visit, which won all the Tony Awards. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good about it. Oh, it was dismal. It was really dreary. The direction was so slow. Um, the music was okay. The acting was wonderful. I mean, but you music. kind of expect that. Right? Yeah, well, and you can appreciate that. And the woman that had the lead won the Tony Award. So that was good. But the show itself just did nothing. Do you like, what's it called, Come From Away? Oh, I had a feeling that was from Away. Yeah. I would say that Come From Away is better than Hamilton. Mm. <laughs> well, it's mm. different. It's different in the sense that... Here's why I'm making a face. Because Hamilton was the first musical I have heard, God, maybe since Next to Normal, where I thought, okay, well, that changes the game. 
Mm. We can't go it back does. now. We just it have does. to be aware that this is possible on Broadway now, and we have Absolutely. to change our thinking. Because I think Broadway tends to... Honestly, one of my complaints about Broadway-style theater is that it tends to lag behind the radio, so that when I saw Rent the first time, now I saw it in L.A., I saw a great cast, amazing cast, honestly, people mm-hmm. who have gone on to be brand-name actors. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the whole time I was sitting there thinking, now, if these were real kids in a crummy apartment, they'd be listening to Ska right now. This mm. would be a Ska number. Whatever was popular at the time. Yeah. I thought, this is a musical written by somebody who only listens to musicals and thinks he understands what kids do. Now, when I've seen it more recently, I'm able to frame it differently and it works differently for me. But Hamilton was the first one where I thought, oh, this is written by a guy who could be having platinum-selling hip-hop records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought it was a huge leap beyond In the Heights, honestly. I oh, just thought, by far. And of course, they're going to make In the Heights into a movie first, because they right. know that, right? Right, right? But listening to Hamilton, I just thought, oh, okay, well, now everybody has to change the way we do this. Even Dear Evan Hansen or a show like that didn't give me that feeling. Yeah, no, I think it sets a standard. Hamilton does. But I'm not sure. If you look at the variety of shows that are on Broadway, there's a wide variety. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a revival of Carousel. Well... Compared to Hamilton, why are you seeing Carousel? But there's an audience for Carousel. So I think the wonderful thing that Hamilton did was it opened up this new generation and appreciation of Broadway. You know, when I was a kid, it was Phantom and Les Mis. These instantly hummable, massive, epic music video conscious shows. Right. Where it was just spectacle on spectacle on spectacle and big hydraulic rams pushing things in. Right. And here in regional markets, we can't afford to do that. Exactly. But, well, you had a lot of spectacle in this show. <laughs> we try. It ain't cheap, right? <laughs> no, we, we have a pretty good set budget, good costume budget. Great background work. Oh, thanks. Uh, I did notice yeah, that. Yeah, you have a very talented painter. Yeah, it's, and the, the symmetry between the images I thought was very clever mm-hmm. because it took me a few scenes to realize... Um, what had happened right in uh-huh. front of my eyes. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's very clever. Watch for that, listeners. Keep an eye out those windows. There's cool <laughs> yeah. stuff going on out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, I have really enjoyed this. I enjoyed okay. the experience. I'm glad we got to come up and see it. I had a lot of fun. Well, thank you. I'm glad you did. This was fun. You got two more weekends left, right? Correct. Okay. And then the next show after that will be Fulmani, and then your summer show is Mamma Mia. Right. And somewhere along there, you're going to be asking people to buy subscriptions right. for next year. Right. Right? Yes. Well, he'll tell you down the road why that's a good idea. I have been made privy to some of the shows they're doing next year, and it's a big, big season. It's going to be a fun season. You're going to die of exhaustion. Um, I'm only directing five. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll be in all of them, right? No, no, absolutely You're not not going to walk out in the funny hat? No, no, I hope not. I hope not. I want to finish with this. There's a moment early in Act 2 where I thought, "Mm, I don't know if this is working for me, but the script actually manages to pull it in. There is some pretty serious quasi-racism in the show at one point that would have been completely unremarked upon in 1928. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But the joke works. Oh, good. You rescued (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. And whoever wrote this musical, you rescued it. Well, and you know, the thing is, is that nine years ago when we did this, it was kind of racy, but now today's world and... How oh, it's think uh, unpardonable, it's, right? It's so different. It was like, ooh, are we pushing it too much here? Uh, the accents. That was the one that was like, 
it is not often you get to tell an actor, do the most racist Asian accent <laughs> yeah, you can come up with. Absolutely. I mean, the Mickey Rooney, like, chicklets over your front teeth, horrible stereotype exactly. accent. You pulled it back. That's <laughs> good. Good, good, good. As a guy who had to play Roy Cohn, I'm respectful oh. <laughs> of people who can go there and Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. I never know when I'm talking to these folks what the next show I'm going to see is, so I'll just leave it. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good show. We'll be back shortly. Until then, please come up and see The Drowsy Chaperone. I promise you it is well worth the 45-minute drive and the 45-minute drive home. You're going to love the show. It's a lot of fun. Great escape. John, good to hang out with you, sir. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Sound Stages. Yes, that was fun.